Welcome, friends. This is Lisa Colon-Delay, your host. You're listening to Spark My Muse. And this is Soul School Lesson 286, Killing My Childhood God. I have a reading today from a book by Eugene Peterson called Answering God, The Psalms as Tools for Prayer. This is a really fascinating book that was lent to me recently. It was printed in 1991. That's kind of a while ago now. There are things in this book I might feature in future episodes, but something from the appendix really stood out to me. And I'm wondering if when you hear this, some of you might relate. Some of you might understand the story that is about to be read. Eugene Peterson, who has now passed away, indicates that he does classes on praying the Psalms and embarking on a monthly cycle of praying the Psalms. He invites students and members of his church to do such a thing as he instructs them. This is from page 128 in the Appendix Reports from the Field section at the very back of the book. Eugene Peterson writes, From time to time, as I have the opportunity, and as it seems appropriate, I ask people who have embarked on a monthly cycle of praying the Psalms to write down what they are experiencing in following this ancient and common practice of praying Christians. In my guidance, I suggest after praying the Psalms for 10 or 15 minutes, another 5 or 10 minutes be spent with a journal, writing whatever there is in the mind and spirit, not trying to comment on the Psalm or explain it, using the journal to pay attention to oneself, the praying person answering God. I'm going to pause for a minute to say that one of the things I have been enjoying about this book is how he refers to prayer as a response to God, not speaking to God, but as something we do out of our listening to God. And I think that is a beautiful way to reframe prayer in a way that doesn't center on us, that helps us grow. Peterson goes on to say, I include here a sampler from what I have received. I offer it as evidence, reports from the field, of what happens as the Psalms are embraced as our basic prayer text. Some are from people in my congregation, others from students in courses I have taught in universities and seminaries, others from persons I have never met who have responded to something I have written. These are conversational and personal field notes collected from friends as we pursue a life of prayer in companion with the Psalms. Then on page 137, someone wrote to him saying, I am a, quote, keeper, unquote, by nature. Innkeepers, bookkeepers, housekeepers, keepers in general, all devote long hours, if not their very lives, to the protection and maintenance, the care and nurture of what is kept. So it seemed a natural step that I became keeper of my spiritual estate the moment I murdered my childhood God. Early on, I had confused relationship to the infinite God with my finite ideas about God. In the crisis of being that followed, God died with my ideas. Abandoned, I grew increasingly angry and defiant. Prayer became an act of shaking my fist in the face of God and damning him for giving me a mind, 
a weapon capable of deicide, a weapon by which he consented to die and orphan me. Unwilling to accept the death of my childhood God, I set his corpse in my living room and prayed at it, thinking I might resurrect it by merely screaming, Speak to me! I eventually grew weary of futile effort. Gathering the tattered remains of my puppet God, I tossed them back in a room, locked the door, and became a keeper of spiritual garbage. Then I retreated into isolation, content to lick my wounds while taking refuge once again in intellectual constructs and the vast world of religious ideas. But mental gymnastics was a poor substitute for relationship with the living God, and the pain of separation had left me hollow and cynical. How I desperately longed for the elusive hearing that would cleanse and heal the vacuous ache at the core of me. After four years of constant battling and retreating, I gave up. I surrendered my role as keeper, gave a proper burial to my childhood God, and timidly opened my front door to the unknown. In the convalescent months that followed, I gradually became aware of a tender mystery weaving itself around and through me. For the first time in so many pain-filled years, I slowly began to hear God. Listen, said a voice without words. Just wait, be still, and listen. I rooted myself in the fertile silence and waited. I love you said the voice without words. I was shattered. The pain I had felt, feeling abandoned, unheard, cut off, was turned on me as I met God's pain at my absence and touched the edge of the depth of his longing for communion with me. Gentle arms of grace tenderly gathered the battered and wounded fragments of me into a healing embrace of permeating love. No longer responsible for my own keeping, I was free to be kept by God. I had been extravagantly, powerfully restored to right relationship. I thankfully celebrated the reconciliation, but I knew enough not to be seduced by its sweetness. Soon the party would end, and the work of healing and restoration would begin. But how to begin? During my years in spiritual exile, I had deteriorated into a functional illiterate in the language of prayer. I was willing to start back at square one, but what was it? In these 12 post-reconciliation months, a stab-in-the-dark, hit-and-miss approach has characterized my prayer. Mostly I pray small prayers, not knowing how to pray and ask for guidance. I know how to cry for help in the midst of crisis, but in the day-to-day work of relationship, I flounder through a routine of sophomoric babbling. Disenchanted with going it alone and hungry for guidance, I enrolled in your class, determined to submit my context to the content of the course and abandon, embrace, change, whatever would be required. The fact that prayer is primarily a responsive act gave a whole new perspective to my years of screaming at God. 
unwilling to acknowledge what God had already spoken. I demanded that he speak to me from the script I had written. If I couldn't write the God lines in my own story, I wasn't going to participate. Nothing else was acceptable. The ensuing silence then was not a cessation of speech on God's part, but an unwillingness on my part to hear anything I couldn't control. The mere shifting in my understanding of prayer as a response to what God had already spoken made years of painful ambiguity and struggle suddenly clear and meaningful. When praying the Psalms, I think that perspective is a byproduct of memory. When I first prayed the Psalms and recorded my thoughts as you instructed, my first sentence was, I read and memories come. Continuing, I wrote, the context I bring to my reading, the painful memories, the anxiety, fear, loneliness, are all intensified when I bring them to the Psalms. The Psalms take me excruciatingly deeper into the core of me in my present context. There is no room for abstraction or escape. In class, when the statement, alone with God is not good, came thundering across my isolation river, it knocked me off my feet. I landed with a thud on the muddy riverbank, and I knew this would be a rough time for me to cross. In fact, I have yet to stand up and get my feet wet. And what's worse, I know that this is one of those rivers I'll need to cross again and again. Abandoning isolation and embracing community is particularly difficult because it violates my independent keeper nature. It was hard enough to relinquish my keeper role to the infinite God. The thought of consistently entrusting myself to a community of other flawed believers strikes me as mildly horrifying. Plus, I feel like I haven't a clue about what that practically means. But the Psalms and you seem to say that, if nothing else, a clue is what I do have. In praying the Psalms, I am rescued from the tyranny of ruts and routines and nurtured instead in the arms of ritual and rhythm. The Psalms are the tools that transform the rut of my hiddenness prayer into daily portions of sustaining grace. They rescue me from drowning in the fatal mechanics of routine and safely usher me into the life-giving waters of rhythm. Equipped with these requisite tools, there is nothing left but to dig into the details, the gnawing, nasty realities of growth and relationship. Conclusion? I don't suppose there really is one, but I do now know that in the practice of submitting my prayer to the Psalms, I am sustained by the keeper of my soul and the initiating God who all my life long has been guiding, protecting, nurturing, and loving me into being. That is from Answering God, the Psalms as Tools for Prayer by Eugene Peterson. That is someone responding to what the classes had done for them in the appendix portion of this book. I hope to bring you other sections of this book as I find it uh, really refreshing, and it gives me new perspectives about what prayer can be. 
Finally, I want to bring your attention to something that's coming on December 7th, 2023 through December 10th. I've been invited, as well as 14 other people, to something called the Contemplative Summit. This is a wonderful way to get into the Advent season or to immerse yourself in a time of learning and growth, connection with other people. And the great part is this four-day event is completely free and it can be watched as you are able. A lot of the things have been pre-recorded. All you have to do is save your seat. There will be links to this at sparkmymuse.com and at spiritualwanderlust.org when you go there. I really hope you sign up. There should be thousands of us joining in and listening to these fantastic speakers that are coming up. And I think you're going to really enjoy it. So I hope you come along. If you have any questions or you'd like to be in contact, please reach out. Go to sparkmymuse.com for that. And I hope you also enjoy the companion page that I make for each episode. So until next time, I wish you blessing and peace.